Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what I've discovered. When, when a person gets married, they have in their minds a picture. It's the picture of the perfect spouse. He has the picture of the perfect wife. She has the picture of the perfect husband. But they get married, and they discover something. They discover that that person is an imperfect person, not the perfect picture. When the couple discovers that, they have two choices. Number one, they can tear up the picture and accept the person, or they can tear up the person and go after that picture. And that's why a lot of marriages break up. So we want to talk about building the right kind of a foundation, and to do that is Dave Rao. Well, thanks, Pastor Skip. You know, thinking about those early days and images that were in my mind when um, Carly and I first married, she's here tonight, and we've been married for almost 20 years. It's... It seemed like 40, but it's actually only been 20 years. But who's counting? But, you know, we've often talked about that. You know, when we were younger, she said, Dave, you're so funny. You were so spontaneous. You used to do jokes. Uh, your pants fit looser, and you were different. And uh, we realized that somewhere along the way, that cute, sweet, wonderful girl that I married and that nice-looking, uh, funny guy that she married ran off with each other and left the two of us uh, <laughs> to sort of to work it out. No, I'm just joking. I'm probably married to the sweetest woman in the world, Carly. All right. If you have a Bible, you should. You're in church. Uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. When a man loves a woman, and we're going to discuss marriage tonight, and um, we're going to discuss origins. And uh, for us, as uh, people in our society, origins seem to be a issue of controversy. And I want to stay right from the beginning that there's no controversy in my mind as to who the real authority is. So let's um, look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was on the earth and before any herb of the field were grown, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But... A mist went from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, 
and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip with me down to verse 15. When the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it, and the Lord commanded him, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, helper comparable unto him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. And we thank you that you have given us um, such wisdom and guidance. And we're thankful for your word, for your authority, for your careful watch over us as your people. And tonight we turn to you because, Lord, we believe in you and your words are life to us. So as we visit, Lord, these ancient documents, the earliest origins of who we are and where we've come from, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us, Lord, change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to mention before we go any further that this whole series is based upon a book called Beyond the Summer of Love. It was written by uh, Pastor Skip. And the reason I want to bring this up is that we have purposely prepared a whole series of teaching uh, that you can not only read and come to church and hear the Bible, but you have a book, a companion book to go alongside that. And our hopes were is that as you go through both types of learning, your experience and your depth of knowledge and the transformation that needs to take place in your life will be more readily acceptable to you. So I encourage you, if you haven't gotten the book and read it, we'd love to you to do so because it make a big difference in what you get out of this series. Second of all, I want to remind you that there is a cruise on the line and it's to the Bahamas. So um, if you would like to go, you need to write a essay, about five pages, about how the principles of this book have transformed your life. And uh, we have a review board of very wonderful, smart, brilliant people. And uh, we'll make our pick. And a lucky couple, or one of you, will be going on this cruise. So don't skip out, because this is, this is a great opportunity. All right, origins. Earth is formed was formed out of the mind, the creative power of God himself. You know, we live in a society that loves to pick at that statement. We like to to debate where our origins have come from and where man came from. And those who do not accept the biblical account of where mankind and the world came from have to come up with different theories. And so you have the theory of evolution. And you take it all the way back. You say, well, there was some primordial soup and there was an electric shock. And this one single-celled organism began to grow. And anyway, the, the, the fairy tale continues to take on new forms. But then you ask a question. So who created the universe? Well, the universe, the cosmos, always existed. And you know what? I just want to be bold about this, and I think you should too. 
Guess who made the cosmos? God. That's the one that we serve. And, and you should never bow down or capitulate to anything that the world has to offer in contradistinction to what Scripture said. And here's the reason why. It's because, according to what the Word of God says, the Bible is the only reliable, authoritative account of our origin. There are many myths, and you can read them, and they all sound bizarre and weird. But the account of the Creator actually tenderly, creatively designing a planet, designing plant life and animals and a caretaker actually makes more sense in the way that we live our lives because our lives are built around design. I mean, if you're a first grade teacher, your life is built around chaos. But beyond that, (laughs) you can understand that there is a design and a purpose beyond all of that. And here's the big issue. If you don't accept these statements as fact, you, my friends, will spend the rest of your life questioning everything in the Bible and ultimately your life will be wasted on theories as opposed to real living. You can spend your life asking the question, posing the question, but the truth of it is none of us were there in the beginning. If it had been billions of years ago and there was a little tiny weird creature and that's, we call him great-great-great-grandpa or grandma. No one saw it. But we have the account of the living God who came in the form of Jesus Christ and revealed himself to us and forgave our sins by his own sacrifice on the cross. And it's easier to accept his testimony than the speculation of those who reject him. All right, life in the garden. Let's, let's look at this. All that was needed to sustain life was in the garden. There was nothing that was lacking. There was good f- food, um, plenty of sunshine. He had a nice sprinkler system. As we read, the, the mist came up from the earth, and uh, it, uh, I don't know what kind of a timer it was. You know, if it was here in New Mexico, it was every three days or so, um, I'm sure. God gave him rules and parameters. He he told him what to eat, what not to eat. And he had a job. It was a good life. His job was to give names to the animals and to watch and have dominion over them. You know, I can imagine, you know, his first response. He's brand new in the world and he sees all of these creatures running around. And God asks, what are you going to call them? Well, I think I'll call them animals. And you can imagine the, the naming process. Imagine being a giraffe. You know, the giraffe gets his name, kind of goes over to the hippo, and he goes, I can't believe it, man. I got, I got giraffe. I mean, that's not a name for a tall guy. I mean, what about like Kareem or, or something like that? And the hippo says, well, what are you, you'll be looking, how would you like to be called hippo? What will my family think? I wanted to be known as Petunia. But he was the boss. He, he, was, he had a great life. But we read in verse 18 that something was missing. Look with me. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air 
and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. God said, it's not good that man is alone. I agree with that. Man didn't have anyone comparable to himself. The rest of the animals had mates. A couple, two or three or how many were made there? They had mates, but he was alone. And if you've ever been over to, say, a 19, 20-year-old bachelor pad, the general consensus is that it's not good that men should dwell alone. Now, I'm not saying about that, you older guys who are bachelors, I know you're smooth, you got the cool lights, and uh, you know, the stereo system, and basically your whole house runs off of a remote. I know, you, you got it worked out. But, you know, Adam was young. And God looked at him and said, it's not good that he dwells alone. And so God had a plan in mind, and that is he had a divine design. Look with me at verse 20. So... Adam gave names to all the animals, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And when the rib which the Lord gave him was taken from him, he made a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said... This is a very happy day, by the way. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. If he had a guitar, I'm sure he would have made a song out of it. It would have been a top hit. He probably would have sung it on Guitar Hero. Um, She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Now, those of you who have gender problems, and that is... You think that maybe men have it better or you think that women have it better. You know, you love to read the early accounts of Scripture and say it's what's very chauvinistic. But if you actually listen to the process that God takes humanity through, it's merely design. It's not that the man was better than the woman. It was actually the fact that God looked at the man and said, there's something very wrong here. He needs a helper. Is a helper less than? No. A helper is someone who has abilities that the other does not have. Why was she taken from the rib? Well, there's a little story that's been read a million times, and I'll read it the one millionth and oneth time. Woman was not taken from man's head, lest she should rule over him. Woman was not taken from man's feet, probably because it smells, but uh, no. Was not taken from man's feet, lest he should dominate her. Woman was taken from man's side to be close to his heart, next to his side, to signify that she was to be dear unto him. As his own flesh. The word that is used there in Hebrew for helper is is literally one that corresponds exactly. The the idea you could say in, in, in our language, she was a perfect fit. Because God had made them male and female, they were different. She was a helper. 
She corresponded exactly. They had the same genetic material, but they were very different. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. Men and women are very different. And again, it's a raging debate in our society. Is it nurture? Is it nature? I know, gals, there's some of you out there that can beat your husband up if it, if it came down to it in a wrestling match. But you're kind of the exception. And you, you kind of realize you should let him win. And I realize that some of you guys out there are really good cooks. And a lot of what we talk about being male and female are generalities but they're generalities that apply across the board for humanity from the beginning of humanity and through today. In fact, think of a world without men. Think of it. I know some of you ladies are like, Phew. well. But a world without men means there are a lot of leaky faucets. Think about that. Now, what about a world without women? Some of you guys are going, oh, that'd be great. You know what a world without women would be like? Men would be living in caves. <laughs> hey, buddy, what's that smell in here? It's a dead animal. Cool. That's awesome. Men and women need each other for reproduction. There are no human beings made without a male and a female interacting somehow. There's no two males make another human being. In fact, if God had made two men, that would be the end of the human race. Because as soon as a man found out what childbirth was about, he'd say, you know what, I can't do it. Yeah, but the human race is depending on you. I know, I know, and it's so selfish, but you know what? Really, it's just not me. I'm not going to be able to do it. Can you see me with kids? No, not really. You go into a house, guys, if you're brilliant, you put a, a big vase of flowers on the table, and your wife walks in and she goes, Oh, that's so sweet and wonderful. And ladies, if you're brilliant, you know, the guy walks into the house and he looks at the table and there's large chunks of meat. And he goes, oh, yes, I love you. You're my soulmate. Women are tender with children. I'm sorry, you just are. I can remember when we brought home, I mean, beautiful Maddie, she's 17 years old here tonight, but I can remember when we brought her home and I was scared to death of her. I was. I thought, I'm, I'm going to drop her. I'll have a momentary blackout and she'll hit the ground and I'll be on the lamb for the rest of my life. 
and every person on the earth will hate me. I, I was scared of them. But my wife, tender, loving, careful. You, women, you're just better at it. Men, on the other hand, are very tender with their cars. <laughs> yes, baby. Daddy loves you. I will never let any rust or corrosion come upon you. That's right. Honey, we're remodeling the kids' room. I'm going to make it into a garage, you know. <laughs> Women like fine china. You know, I don't know how, what it is, but a, a woman moves into a house and pretty soon there's a china cabinet. Where does... Honey, we never eat with this stuff. I know. You're not supposed to eat with it. It'll get dirty. Men, on the other hand, like remotes. You want to get a guy something for his birthday? Get him a remote. For Christmas, get him another remote. He doesn't care. This is cool, man. I love, love that. Women are beautiful. That's just you are. Women are very beautiful creatures. Men, on the other hand, best I can say is rugged. Yeah, that's pretty good. Men, historically... Go to war. And um, women historically have cared for the wounded. I know that probably some of you ladies here have been to war and we're thankful for your commitment. But, you know, it's been stated that, you know, men have been the cause of most wars. Men are so brutal. You know what I think the cause is, really? It was their wives who were saying, Honey, you better do something about that. What do you want me to do? I'm not going to get involved. That's other people's business. I'm not getting involved with that. And they're like, well, you better do something. Or there's going to be trouble in this house. It took two to make a war. Men love to protect. I don't care what it looks like. The two twin pythons of doom, baby, are always going to be there for you, you know. And women appreciate protection. Here's the important two. Women need security. And men need respect. That is a common denominator that will be found in every marriage, every relationship from the beginning until now, until the Lord returns. Women need security and protection, and men want respect. I can think of my wife and I. Um, we fit together very well. I told her when we first were thinking about getting married, I said, I'm pretty easy. I'm like a dog. I had more hair then. You, know, you don't have to see many bald dogs. But I, I, I said, look. Make sure there's a bowl of food. You pat me on the head. You tell me I'm a good boy. And I'll always be on the front porch for you. And my wife is the perfect correspondent because she's always been like the perfect dog owner. I don't know if you've ever seen that show with Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer. He doesn't whisper, he... You know, 
even today, I can hear Carly if I get out of line while I'm teaching. She'll say, I know that had nothing to do with anything, but it was funny. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we find three principles for marital success. They're very old principles, but they are the best. And I want to tell you, if tonight you're newly married, and every word that I'm talking about is so awesome, these will help you. These will help you in your life. If you have been married for a while and you're like, oh boy, here we go. All I need is another pastor to tell me about how to be married. Listen, these are just as true for you now as the day that you got married. And they will correct any, any marriage that is somehow veering off the path because it is God's design. God designed people. God loves people. And he has a way for us to function, not only in relationship with him, but in relationship with each other. The first principle that we find in verse 24 is leaving. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Why would God tell us to leave? Number one. Parents always have plenty of food in the fridge. They always keep a clean house. Why would he tell us to leave? Well, it's, what's so important about that? Well, there's a few reasons, I believe. First of all, each married couple are to become a unique couple, writing a page of their ancestral history with its own purpose and design for God. There's a new story to be written. Every generation carries with it the story of of God and his interworking with mankind. We do. That is our greatest purpose. I don't know if you know that. We exist continually by his grace and by his love. And those who are submitted to him as their life grows together are writing a new page in history in our family about God's goodness and how God conquers and God God does great things. A wife and husband are leaving also the authority of their parents and coming under the authority of God and each other. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we're to be submitted one to another. And, And the word there that is used speaks of a willful submission. No one's forcing you to be submitted, but you are to be submitted one to another. There's also a natural order. God has set man as over the wife. Not that he is the boss of the wife, but he is someone who God says, she's beautiful, she's a little more fragile than you, and you will give an answer to me as to the way that you treat her and care for her. That is the authority that God has given And so her job is not to not necessarily fight against him, but help him be the best man that he can be. There's a new authority structure. And in order to have a strong marriage, a husband and wife must leave their families. 
There's no way. I know we all like to watch the Waltons. Four, ten, five generations of people living in the same house. Not daddy man. Not grandpa woman. Oh, excuse me. That was a grandpa man. But it doesn't always work that way. We are to leave our families. Now, here are some practical reasons for leaving. First of all, and you want to write this down, this is a good one. There is baggage from the past. There are no perfect homes. I know that you may have thought that you grew up in a perfect home. But you realize that each family has its own problems. Each person, I believe... Now this, is, and this may be too mystical for you, but follow along here. Each person has an invisible family following them. You didn't, did you know that? And reminding them what to say, how to react, how to feel. Here's the problem. Most of the invisible families which are following us, if we could see them, don't look like the Cosby family. Nice, wonderful, get along really well. The family that typically is following us is more like the Adams family. <laughs> they're kooky. They're, you, know, they're, you know how it goes. You got the Uncle Fester who's sort of back there. Cousin It and Morticia and Gomez and all the rest of the group. And uh, because each family has a lot of sinners and a lot of problems in it. And if you don't Leave your family. You'll never, you'll never really understand what God's plan is for you. And here's just a little note for you. You will never know exactly how weird you are until you get married. (laughs) Those of you who are single and you're like, you know, man, be nice to be married. Well, you know what? You're living in a bubble. Because right now, you know, you can arrange the house the way that you want to. And it's cool, man. You can buy the food that you like. You can eat, wear the clothes that you like. And it's all wonderful. But man, when you get married, you find out you are one weird, messed up individual. I thought I was perfect. Or near perfect. Yeah, I knew not everybody's perfect. But uh, you really have a person who's there saying, look, buddy, you have some issues. (laughs) For instance, okay, teeth sucking. (laughs) Honey, I, um, I didn't, I didn't notice you doing that before we got married. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My dad's a teeth sucker. My mom, (laughs) my sister, we've been doing this for years. You sure? You think you'll keep doing it? Oh yeah, I'll probably do it till I die. I'm going to teach the kids how to do it. Great. Hey, honey, what's this little pile of stuff right here by the uh, uh, by the the bed, the nightstand here? Oh, that that's my toenail clippings. Really? Oh, yeah. My family has done it that way for years. I have a little jar in the, in the closet. You can look at them. 
Okay, sweetheart. Then there's the, you know, this one, everybody, you, know, you deal with it, don't be in denial. It's the toilet roll pa- uh, placement on the roll. Do you, do, do you go under or do you go over? And to this day, I have not let up for the fact that it is scientifically proven that it is supposed to go over. Everybody knows that. I mean, honey, we got, we got scientists in my family. You got to believe me. This is aerodynamics. This is the only way to do it. And so instead of letting it be, I haven't let one day go by that I had turned it back around. And... <laughs> and for some of you ladies, putting the lid down is... Like bringing home a vase of flowers. So how do we get beyond our past? First of all, in order to really leave, you have to be honest with yourself and be as honest as possible. Take a good inventory of your faults and your strengths. Really, really look at some things that in your family resemble the Adams family that are not necessarily helpful to your relationship and look at some of the quirky things that you do that you may love but you see that they have an adverse effect on your partner and realize that this is not God's model this was a model of my family keep the good things use the good things but be willing to admit the faults of the past And then secondly, we get past and leave our our family by asking the Holy Spirit to help us change. God is willing to come alongside any humble human being who has a problem and say, Lord, I really need to change. I see that this has an adverse effect on my, my mate, my spouse, And I really need your help. Be diligent and maintain a willing and open heart. And thirdly, develop open communication about your in-laws. Okay? Now, first time that you talk about your in-laws, it can be trouble. Because, you know, your, your wife, your husband, you become best friends and you talk about everything. And the moment that you mention someone's mother, trouble begins to start in the family. You know, I'm going to tell you guys, there's a few things never to say. If you've already said them, your heads are going to go down in a minute in shame. But the rest of you who've never said it, don't say this. You're just like your mother. Yeah, see, the heads are going down. Wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. Wow. Or my mother cooks like this. Well, you can just go home and live with your mother. (laughs) But be less defensive about your family and, and develop an open communication about the unique nature of your family, your differences. I mean, my wife and I, she comes from the Midwest. I come from Texas. My goodness. 
That was a clash of cultures. And we've had so much fun talking about our relatives. And if you get into it and realize you don't have to be defensive about it, it's a blast. Because every time weird aunt so-and-so or weird uncle so-and-so comes over, you're like, ooh, well, did you notice? Yeah, I did. I did notice that. We're not going to teach our kids that. No, 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 we're not going to teach them that at all. Second principle in a successful marriage we find is cleaving. A man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The two will be joined together. Now, what does it mean to cleave? It's the Hebrew word dabak, which means to be glued or cemented together. And this is a quote from this very fine book here. It says, when God glues a couple together in marriage, it's meant to be a permanent bond. Here's a good illustration. It's a part of our premarital classes. You take two pieces of paper and glue them together. And then after it's set and it's dried, try to tear them apart and see if the paper maintains any integrity. What happens when when you do that? The paper is ripped to shreds completely. When God glues or cements a couple together, It's meant to be a permanent bond. Now, cleaving, I believe, more than anything else, involves responsibility. Responsibility. That's the big, 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 big word in marriage. I mean, we like to use the word love. And love is important. But love finds its way and lives its way out in responsibility. Responsibility, first of all, for our vows, responsibility to God and to our mate. You know, I've noticed in all the weddings I've done through the years, and when I go through that, will you be loving, willing, submit yourself to, through death, fire, hailstorm, disease, will you have this person to be your wedded mate? And and, and inevitably the girl will go, I do. And the man says, I I will. And as soon as the first argument happens after the first week, it's, no, I will not, and you do not either. But that's the, 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 the first response is, yes, I will. But those vows that you and I make to each other, in a real sense, are a responsibility that we care for the remainder of our lives responsibility also to commit to this new life you know once that you get married it's not just on coast you know guys love to pursue don't we how's it going um maybe you'd like to uh, come over for uh, some French fries and some ketchup or something. (laughs) Suave, as most of you men are. But once you catch her, you know, and you get married, it's like, okay, I'm heading for the couch, honey. Uh, Throw me the remote. God bless you. Have a good life. (laughs) And she starts to look around and says, now, where were those sweats that I loved so much back in college to wear? Responsibility ultimately we have for the maintenance and upkeep of our spouse. You guys love beautiful sports cars? 
Everybody does. You're driving along, you see one come along, it's just been freshly cleaned. And then there's sort of a, a moment in time where everything slows down and you're like, ooh, wow, you know. Beautiful sports cars, man, fantastic. But beautiful sports cars require a lot of maintenance. I had a buddy of mine who called me up one day and he said, oh, I guess the best deal on a Porsche, Dave, you would not believe it. I traded my car in. I'm going to drive it over to your house. And it was really fast. It was one of these high-performance cars. And um, after nine months, he sold it. I said, dude, what are you selling your car for? He goes, well, the tires are three times expensive than... um, the ones I normally buy for my car, and they wear out in like six months, and the brakes I have to change every four months. I can't afford to keep it. There comes a responsibility with that beautiful prize. Same way with the dream home. You have a dream home, everything that you can imagine. The bigger the home, the more unique things that you have in it, the more responsibility there is. And in the dream mate or the dream person that you and I have, that we want to cleave to, You and I have to accept the role that we have in our mate's life in order to have a good marriage. You just got to give in to it, folks. That's the only way you're going to have a good marriage. Because if you don't, you'll blame the other when you should feel shame. Because, you know, even a diamond looks more beautiful when it's polished. But I've noticed something about diamonds. I don't have a lot of them, by the way is that a diamond does not polish itself. Skip talked about the beginning of that image, that perfect image that we often have of that dream person in our mind. And we're willing to help build that person up till the day of marriage. We sort of forget all their faults. We don't look at anything negative about them. And once we finally get married and we start living in the same house together, All of the faults and the weirdnesses and the cracks and the crevices begin to appear. And that same person that we had in our mind no longer exists. But I tell you, that person will exist if you and I will take our responsibility and pitch in. If you say, well, I expect my wife to be this way. I expect my husband to be this way. I wish she would do this. I wish he would do that. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Why don't you roll up your sleeves, get a little bit of a good attitude, and try to help out? Because that, my friend, is your responsibility. I know that there are contrary people. My wife's been married to one for 20 years. I can't blame her for the way I look. But I can't... That was supposed to be funny. I know that was awesome. Fine. <laughs> but if you will, instead of blaming, take responsibility upon yourself to care for that person and to help mold that person and to pour into that person, that image that you wanted from the beginning begins to take clearer, clearer, and more beautiful form than you can ever imagine. I know I've mentioned my wife too many times already, but I'll do it again. I'm trying to win points, I don't get to preach that much. So, um, But I'll tell you honestly, 
she was a very beautiful woman when we got married. But after four kids and over 20 years, she's absolutely more beautiful than the day that I married her. And, and it's because we've, we've cleaved to one another and realized that, that, that our lives are dependent upon one another. And no one else is going to make that relationship for us. But with the Lord, there is a possibility. Okay, here's the third principle. The third principle is weaving. Therefore the man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. What does it mean to become one flesh? Question. Have you ever noticed that older couples sort of take on same physical characteristics? It's cute. It's totally cute. Um, you know, they, have, they start to have the same facial expressions, same mannerisms, figure of speech, taste in music. And every aspect of daily life, they have become like each other. And that is as God has intended it. They have become one and they experience true intimacy. Becoming one flesh is all about intimacy. And intimacy, my friends, is achieved through careful observation, selflessness, communication, trust, and time. Careful observation. If you want good, intimate relationship in your marriage, you must be a student of your spouse. You've got to know them. You've got to know them better than anybody else. Now, girls, you know us pretty well. Because whenever we think that we're something else, you'll go ahead and let us know exactly who we are. And, dude, you are spot on. (laughs) You're very good observers. But for you men, know her. This is the key to her heart. This is the key to your wife's heart. It took me a long time to figure this out. You know, guys would like just a manual. Hey, honey, you know what? Seems like you got some problems and uh, you're a little bit upset. Why don't you write a list out? I'll try to, I'll try to knock that out this week, you know? <laughs> I'm flexible, you know? I'm ready. And the list never comes until I finally figured out. She said it a hundred million times, but I finally heard it. She says... If you knew me, I wouldn't have to tell you. The ladies are like, amen. (laughs) Somebody, you know, that, that is so true. But isn't it true, ladies? You want him to know you enough, to treasure you enough, to observe you enough that you don't have to tell him because he already knows. True intimacy comes from careful observation of each other. True intimacy also comes through a practice of selflessness. Do all that you can to bless your mate every day with your words and your actions toward them. Listen, you can spend all day mad at the things that your spouse is not doing 
And what you will actually do is be tearing down your marriage every moment of that day. It's easy to find fault with sinners. It's easy to find fault with your mate. No one knows them better than you do. But if you will step across the line and take upon yourself what Scripture says about loving one another and putting the other person first, then something wonderful and magical and intimate takes place in your life as you begin to observe them and commit to bless them on a daily basis. And I throw that out as a challenge to you as married couples. I challenge you to bless your spouse once a day or twice a day. You may get addicted to it. They may come to you eventually and say, well, you, know, you just got to stop. I'm too happy. I'm weepy-eyed all the time. You're just blessing me too much. I can't even, I can't even go to work. I, loved, I would love to overachieve in that area, but instead you know, it's like, well, you know, they kind of said something a little sarcastic to me. I'm not, I don't know if I can be nice to them today. Get over it and have a great marriage. Third thing that helps us achieve intimacy is through communication. And this is hard. It's a lot harder. You think communication is just talking. Not necessarily. Communicate. Constantly do all that you can to make sure that you're both on the same page. Develop your own unique language with each other. A language that is filled, first of all, with reverence for God and a love for your spouse. Your communication and your language with each other should be filled, my friend, with love, and it should always take the high road. There are some of you in this room, married, who have heard the most devastating things, not from somebody at work, but from the person that you really love the best. In the heat of the argument, some of the most ungodly things have come out of your mouth. Through your eyes, through your actions, there's a constant reminder that I am dissatisfied with you. I am upset with you. There may be even hatred in your eyes. Develop within your relationship a way to communicate so that God is blessed in the process and that you're both on the same page. You want to walk away from a conversation. You want to walk away from a, a confrontation both knowing exactly what the issue is. And only the two of you can come up with that. You live with each other. Come up with a way to speak to each other that is so honoring to the living God. Fourthly, intimacy is achieved through trust. Be as reliable as possible. Be that person that they can de always depend upon. You know, it's been stated many times, a true friend is that person who comes alongside when all others have left out. When everyone else has gone away, there comes that true friend who says, I'll always be with you. I'll always be right by your side. That's the person you want to be. In short, stop being a flake. 
it puts a strain on your marriage and they don't trust you. The more consistent you are, the more the trust, the greater the communication, the greater the intimacy. And fifthly, it takes time. Give love time. Let it grow. Don't give up before it's had time to sufficient time to bloom. Give it time. Let it grow. Let, let it bloom. Don't cut its head off. This isn't producing what I thought it would. Cut it down. No. Some things take longer than others. But, you know, if you have a, a big tree in your backyard, the shade is wonderful. The roots are horrible, but the shade is wonderful. It takes time. Let love grow. Okay. One final note, and we'll close up here. You notice here that they were naked and unashamed. There is a note in intimacy that is physical. Part of this knowing each other, a part of of being intimate in marriage is being physical. And holding hands, lots of hugs, the use of your words, your eyes, the gentle touches, let your spouse know that you desire them intimately. There's no real standard for sexual relationship in a marriage. There's not. We know that it's given to us by God. We are told that the marriage bed is not to be, it is to be left undefiled. But it is to be founded within the parameters of a real loving, intimate relationship. And however that's expressed, if it's full of love and careful attention to the other, real intimacy always takes place. It's a gift from God to be enjoyed by both and is best expressed in an environment of deep love and affection for one another. Listen. I know that this hasn't answered a lot of questions that many of you have about issues in your marriage. Um, I can tell you as a pastor that most of our counseling appointments deal with marriage um, because it's hard. But I tell you, anything worth doing is hard. But the truth that comes out of this is that if you stick with it, and you die to yourself and you give God room to work in your life and you apply these scriptural principles over time, God will develop a character in you that you could never gain on your own. That's the greatest gift I think my wife and I give to each other. Is that without her, I know that I wouldn't be the man that I am today. May have been a lot taller, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I, I know that I, I'm very thankful. And I know that I've made additions to her life. But, but most of it has come through trying times where things are hard and you have to lean upon God and you can't see everything clearly. Stay with it. You know, 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read from this because I want to end with love. Because really, love is, is, is a verb, it's, it's an action. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. 
Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not speak its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but love but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. And I thank you for the love that you've given us. And I pray for the families and for the couples here tonight. That they would once again, Lord, if there's a strained relationship, learn to love one another. And that by our love for each other, we would honor you and what you have given us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.